This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast is brought to you by... Treat your scalp well this year and go to My Fluffy Puffs. Go to MyFluffyPuffs.com and check out their Hydrate collection of products from their Mango Whip to their Shampoo and Body Bar. If you go to their website now, MyFluffyPuffs.com, you can use the code HYDRATE10 and save 10% off your next order. MyFluffyPuffs.com Starting next Wednesday, February 1st, our brand new podcast called Misty Nights Uninformed Afro, featuring black superheroines like Storm, Misty Knight, Monica Rambeau, and Vixen, and so much more. Featuring yours truly and co-host Stephanie Williams. We're very excited to bring this podcast to you, and this is something that is going to be incredibly informative and also very entertaining. So do us a quick favor, go on over to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. Black History Month is coming up, and guess what? This podcast is right on time. So if you want to celebrate Black History Month and listen to some really great new podcasts featuring black podcasters, Misty Night's Uninformed Afro is just for you. This is a show by black women talking about black superheroines. Executive produced by myself, researched and co-hosted by Stephanie Williams, and you can go to MQA Podcast. That's M-Q-U-A Podcast.com for more information. For a little snippet and preview of the show, take a quick listen. And we will see you next week on iTunes for our very first episode. Welcome to our new podcast, Misty Nights Uninformed Afro. The new podcast series will dive into the origin stories, character development, and story arcs of our favorite black superheroines and characters in comics. These are the obscure stories you don't always hear about, and we share commentary on some of our favorite moments in comics. We're going into deep discussions about Storm, Misty Knight, Monica Rambeau, Vixen, Amanda Waller, Riri Williams, Lunella Lafayette, and the Dora Milaje. The series has two hosts, founder and managing editor of BlackGirlNerds.com and host of the BGM podcast, yours truly, Jamie Broadnax, and Stephanie Williams, host of The Lemonade Show. Each episode will reference comic book issues, dates, and creators. That way, you can go back and check out the stories for yourself. By the end of the series, you will become a certified expert in the fictional world of black superheroines. Please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. See you soon. Hi, I'm 
Sujata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, this is Anika Noni Rose, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Gary Anthony Wood, a.k.a. Encore Rock. This is the Encore Rock. And you is listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Why the hell they let black women have a podcast? I would never know. Uh, my name is Tanahasi Coates. I write for the Atlantic, uh, and I am the writer on uh, Black Panther right now. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Greg Pak. I'm the writer of Totally Awesome Hulk and Kingsway West. But most importantly, you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast, and it is awesome. Hi, I'm Joy Bryant, and I'm a Black Girl Nerd, and you are listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Idris Elba, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Simone Missick, and I am Misty Knight, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, y'all, this is LeVar Burton, Kunta, Jordy, Reading Rainbow Guy. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. It is the bomb diggity podcast on the interwebs, but... You don't have to take my word for it. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda rhymes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake the booties for black girl nerds. Thanks for tuning in to episode 101 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie, and I am your host. This episode is titled Benjamin Bratt and our Black History Month Roundtable. Two segments. Obviously, our first segment is with actor Benjamin Bratt. Benjamin plays in the new Fox TV series called Star, and he talks with us in a very short, sweet, and brief segment with Karan about his role on the new show. And there's a really cool moment in this press conference interview where he hears the name of our outlet and his interest is piqued. In our second segment, we have our Black History Month roundtable discussion. And we talk about a myriad of topics from from the resurgence of the Emmett Till story to the new edition biopic to the Oscar race that's coming up. That roundtable discussion features myself, Kayla, Karan, Tora, and Joy. So that's our show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please spread the word about Black Girl Nerds and use the hashtag BGM Podcast on Twitter to let everybody know that you're listening and you can chime in with other listeners on social media. This is episode 101, Benjamin Bratt and our Black History Month Roundtable. Enjoy!
Benjamin Bratt is a TV and film actor, best known for roles in films such as Demolition Man, Traffic, Miss Congeniality, and Doctor Strange. On TV, he's appeared on Law & Order, Private Practice, and Fox's 24 Live Another Day. Currently, you can find him on Fox's new show called Star, developed by Lee Daniels. In Fox's Star, Bratt plays the role of Halil Rivera, a talent manager down on his luck. Take a listen to this quick segment featuring Karan and Benjamin Bratt as he discusses his role on the new Fox show. Next question is from the line of Karan Lenore, Black Girl Nerds. Please go ahead. Hi, Benjamin. What a great name for an outlet. Black Girl Nerds? BlackGirlNerds.com, absolutely. And we love you. We followed your career for a very long time. And there's a lot of new talent, a lot of fresh faces uh, in this series. I want to know, will we hear you sing? And what attracted you to this project? And what, if anything, surprised you? What was the first part of the question? Are we going to hear you hit or miss a note or two? All right, so here's here's my issue. This is, <laughs> this is my issue, and the and the particular bone I have to take with Lee is that um, he has put me in a cast almost entirely comprised of people who can not only sing but who can sing professionally, from from Brittany and Jude to Ryan, the three girls who comprise uh, the, the the trio, to Queen, to Quincy Brown, to Tyrese Gibson, to Lenny Kravitz. They can all sing. They can all blow. And I'm jealous because I, I can't I can't hold a note. That's the honest to God truth. And I'm hoping <laughs> I don't know it's gonna take I don't know what it's gonna take, you know, like what's that computer program where they hold your note in tune? Auto tune. <laughs> it's gonna take some like uh, some auto tune or what, but I'm hoping he's gonna give me a shot, you know, to embarrass myself because you know, therein lies the challenge. That's one of the reasons why I took on the show. Or at least let me you know, at least let me get a dance number. <laughs> <laughs> what surprised you about the young people you had a chance to work with these this group of of amazing talented newcomers? Uh, the self possession they 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 have. Um, I, re- I reflect back on when I first started uh, in the professional world when I was in my early twenties, and I was I was very green. And these girls had a certain degree of, of naivete as well, kind of a wide-eyed babes in the woods kind of thing when we first shot the pilot a year ago. But I, but I got to tell you, you compare that to 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 who they are now, and this is even prior to the show premiering tonight. We're now eight episodes in, and they're like solid veterans. And the reason why is because not only do they put in their 12-hour shooting days, they're then moving on to the dance studio and, and working on the choreography for for the various dance numbers that occur in every episode. And then uh, with whatever spare time they have left, they actually go into the studio to learn and record the songs that they're required to sing. They're a remarkably talented uh, group of girls. And, and now because of all the hard work that they put in over the last uh, few months, um, it was a kind of conservatory-like setting that is now... Um, 
steal them and prepare them for not only the work that they do every week, but for what awaits them in a really public way. Thanks so much. The following is a Black History Month roundtable discussion featuring myself, Kayla, Karan, Joy, and Tora. And we talk about some of the events that have happened this past week that have had an impact on Black history and in both contemporary and historical ways, from the resurgence of the Emmett Till story to the new edition biopic that had happened recently. Biopic, biopic, I never know how to say that. And also the Oscar race that is coming up very shortly, featuring a lot of Black nominees. So I hope you enjoyed this one. This was a really fun discussion. And just a quick note, there's a lot of clicking of my keyboard and also clicking of my mouse while this was recorded. I do apologize. I did not know that my mic was picking up all of the ambient noise around me. So going forward, I'll be more diligent in keeping all of that stuff quiet when I'm recording. So I do apologize for that in advance. Thanks for tuning in to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. This is episode 101, and we're doing a roundtable discussion about some various topics. And this is a very important podcast for us because coming up very shortly is Black History Month. So to celebrate that, we're going to talk about things that are very important to us in our culture, in our community, and also some fun, hot topics that have happened this past week. So I am here on this fun roundtable with Karan, Joy, Kayla, and Tora. Thank you for being on the podcast tonight. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> what, what, what Karan said in that very sensual, sexy voice. Yes. That, that very sultry voice. Host, y'all. <laughs> I don't, I can't beat that. <clears throat> Thank you so much for having us. I can't. I can't do that. (laughs) You should hear me talk to my mortgage broker. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, wow. This is going to be a fun one. Um, (laughs) So let's get started. Let's talk about what's happened this past week uh, on Twitter, right? Twitter's sort of our water cooler of hot topics and one that's come up which is sort of on a serious note is the murder of Emmett Till that happened decades ago but the reason why everybody's talking about it now is because there was an article that resurfaced on VanityFair.com about the woman that accused Emmett Till of whistling at him Feel free, anybody, to jump in uh, if you know the woman's name. I don't know her name, nor do I care. But uh, she said that she actually lied about it and recanted her statement. Uh, So as it turned out, which most of us suspected this all along, but uh, she admitted that she made the whole thing up. So everyone is talking about it. And as this whole thing unfolded, this is actually a 10-year story, but because Vanity Fair reported on it... um, People are talking about it on social media. So just wanted to get your thoughts about this whole situation and uh, what were your takeaways from uh, this woman recanting her story? Her name was Carolyn Bryant. Um, She's been divorced and remarried a couple of times. I think it's Carolyn Bryant Dunham now. But um, 
I think she should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. This is a 10 year old story and she's still a free woman. And um, the story of Emmett Till was one that really changed the trajectory of how we fight for civil rights. Um, Mamie Till, his mother made the decision to have an open casket funeral so that people could see the result of what happened to her son. And it changed it changed how we view the news. It changed how we view each other. It changed how we treat violations to our civil rights and to black bodies. Um, and it still has such an incredible impact to this day. I don't think it can be quantified what the kind of impact and how, how broad that impact has been. Um, but I think by now she should have been planted six feet under that jail Mm. and it hasn't happened. And that speaks volumes to where we are today, especially considering the, uh, uh, the mango in chief that we have now. So, um, I think it's, it's relevant and it is important that the story is resurfacing at this time. I'm actually glad it's resurfacing at this time because we are seeing, over and over again in the news. We have we have cell phones and cameras now that they didn't have back then. This is a decades old crime against a human being, against an entire family, against a race of people, against an entire people um, that has never seen justice. So um, while it's relevant and it's prudent and it's timely that it's resurfacing, the fact that it has to resurface and there's still no justice is problematic. Um, I agree with Karan. I also think that um, in light of in light of the conversations we are having around intersectionality um, within feminism, um, I think it's also interesting the way that conversations around this are because I I see people painting her still as like they're giving her they're seeing forgiveness or they're seeing her feeling guilty where I'm not seeing that like they're they're still protecting this white woman they're seeing fragility in her that that where there shouldn't be like I'm seeing someone who ruined the life or you know, caused the death of a child mm. and still he was couldn't, a child. Yeah, yep. he was a child and still couldn't through all this time, couldn't bring herself to apologize to anyone publicly, to his family. And yet in this article, in the conversations around it, I'm seeing people give her, give her, just write her as this almost saint. Not not saint, but there's because I don't know if it's because she's old. I don't know what it is, but there I don't feel the anger coming out of this essay. There, someone one of the phrases that they used um, that the person who wrote the article or the book about it said that she she said something to the effect of um, she felt tender sorrow, but that's still not like an admission of guilt or, or anything like that. It, it was just, so you're going to say you sorry. Are you going to say, you know, are you going to talk about what you did to the black community, what you did to this family? 
And I, I think she should come forward. You know, they're, she, they said that her family's hiding her and all of that. They're still complicit in, you know, saving her. And I'm tired. <laughs> I think it's a funny thing with white guilt um, because white guilt means that they want your sympathy for acknowledging that they did wrong or um, just kind of with everything that we've been dealing with since the election. It's just funny. Um, now that we are however many days into hell um, and we've got how many executive orders that are ridiculous, there's a lot of, of vote against Hillary people with white guilt and that's what I got from that article. That's yep. why it just kind of pissed me off. I really couldn't comment on it today because there's really no amount of words that can describe the stories you had to hear um, growing up learning things during Black History Month, it, especially when you are Black, especially with, you know, the church bombing in Birmingham, Emmett Till, learning all that stuff, it sticks with you. I still to this day cannot sit through four little girls. Um, I lose it every time and I won't watch it. So the story, it just brought up a lot of anger in me. And the fact that nobody, it, nobody is holding her accountable, like Tori said. They are hiding her to save her because she just feels so much guilt for whatever reason, because she lied. And it doesn't shock me that she lied because that was the world that it was where they didn't care how it affected our lives. Um, it's still to this day, they don't care how it affects our lives until it affects them. So I, I don't, with the story coming back up, I don't, I don't know. It made me feel uncomfortable because it's giving a face to it, but it's, we're not in a place where no one's going to do anything about it. Like Karan said, it's a 10 year old story. So yeah, why the she's hell? 82 now and she's been able to live to the age of 82, 82. So, mm -hmm. so are you kidding? So that's, the stories that are picked and chosen to be told and when they are told from the stance of the people that were the guilty party, it, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still trying to understand why it did come back up. Um, Cause Vanity Fair wrote an article about it. Yeah. So I, I, I and it's, it's kind of like a hot take thing. So now mm -hmm. it's the thing that everybody's talking about. And that's the thing about these hot takes these days. Um, it's either going to do some good or it's going to bring up a lot of bad. And it brought up a lot of bad for me today. So, I mean, that's one thing with that whole journalism and, and integrity. Thinking about where we are right now in America with what we're dealing with probably wasn't best to run the damn story but they did so I don't, I don't know what they were trying to achieve by running it but like I said they're going to keep running hot takes like that 
right before Black History Month. Okay. <laughs> so, I would like to add that I think, if I remember correctly from reading the article, um, the reason why they, they brought the article up is that it's being done from a lens of someone who's writing a book about the full Emmett Till story that's coming out next week. So, the story of, and I, I think, Karan, you mentioned the name, but I'm not going to say her name because, quite frankly, fuck her. But That white uh, woman. That white, that white woman. Fuck that white lady. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> I love you, Joy. And her whole lineage. She's terrible. Um, <laughs> but no, they're, they're, they are writing a book about it. And uh, it's coming out next week. And I'm, I'm curious about reading the book in general. But uh, the person who did the investigation is a senior researcher at a university. Um, that's why I kind of came back up this week, if you will. Uh, one thing, and I think you guys hit it all on the head, but I'm, I'm going to specifically focus on what Tora said about um, feminism and intersectional feminism, because we're talking about women's marches and, and you know, a lot of the photos and who was being highlighted are white women. We oftentimes forget that every situation or every human right is a woman's right because it is women are in the center of it all. So when you're talking about black boys no matter what year it is getting killed unnecessarily black girls too as well um getting killed unnecessarily just because of how they look that's a women's issue and so when you have a white woman who and and to kayla's point going through white guilt and she's talking about how much of immense sorrow she has i keep thinking of back about um so i tweet today saying that uh ann frank would have been 77 living in boston if the u.s didn't deny her visa when she was trying to run from not to Germany um, and how hidden this white woman was from the public eye to shelter her because she's so fragile and needs to be protected where actual people need to be protected from actual bad you know wolves in the world and we deny them it's extremely backwards it makes no sense quite frankly and the fact that she's coming out now uh, or 10 years ago because I didn't know the story uh, cracked 10 years ago and trying to put a face to her she might as well just stayed hidden and died because she's 88 it's about the time anyway so she might as well just stay hidden at this point, quite frankly. Like, I, I, I have no sympathy for white moderates anymore. You are straddling the line. White liberals, too, obviously, but mm. you're straddling the line. You're saying that you're your allies, but you're not really our allies. And you feel bad after the fact, but you're not actually making physical amends. That, Emmett's mother died with her, her child physically looking like not recognizable. If you've ever seen the pictures of the Emmett Till funeral, if you have the, the stomach for it, go take a look because it is extremely horrifying. It looks like it's straight out of a horror movie, how dismembered and ridiculously off-putting his face was when he got attacked because she lied. And I think we all knew that it was a lie that that kid got killed in the first place. Like you don't need to, you don't need to know the absolute like detail of details of the Emmett Till story and not know that nine times out of 10, it's, it's a lie. It's a, as an ISSA lie. It's a lie. So you, you can guess that it's probably what, that's what the case was. But for her to come out, because again, she's still safe in America. She got to live the full breadth of her life to a certain extent. She's had children. In, in comfort. In, in comfort. comfort. She's gotten married twice. She has kids. Her kids probably have kids. She probably has grandkids and they live this comfortable life. And so I keep thinking of white people who talk about, oh, I don't benefit for racism. Well, your grandmama might have been somebody that got a black person killed back in the 30s or 40s. You don't know. 
anybody, if you are in a space of privilege, you benefit from that pe- that privilege. Period. The end. This is a textbook definition of this one. This is a very cut and dry that she literally cried wolf. That baby got killed. This kid was underage, mind you, got killed for no apparent reason. And because now she feels safe and comfortable enough to tell this story, which I don't know why she thought that, like, as if Twitter ain't popping in 2017, but whatever. Because she decided to tell the story, she's not, no, no repercussions come for this. Yeah, we gave her first and last name, but she's probably still in the comfort of her own safe home somewhere in wherever Fuxville, uh, USA. And she's okay. And she got to live her life and, and, and prosper to a certain degree. And that is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't feel sympathy for her. I am now at the space, I'm absolutely on my Ivan Drago tip, like with anybody who is living off of white guilt and but benefits from privilege and doesn't check it. If you die, you die. Like, I don't know what to tell you. That's where you're at right now. Like, that it is what it is. But it's, it's absolutely ridiculous that this is where we're at. So I'm looking forward to reading the book when it comes out. I'm, I will kind of take a look and investigate. I might do a review on it. I'm kind of curious to see what, the full breadth of the story is, but man, yeah, no, fuck that white lady. I think it's also interesting how she is painted as innocent, again, even in this story. Um, You don't know that she was also kind of complicit in his death. Like, you you read that um, because of her, um, Emmett Till died, but you don't really read that... um, after the initial incident, even in the story she told, she runs to get a gun. Um, so she, even in her initial story that she told, she's so offended by be, being, you know, looked at by this young black child. She feels like she can threaten his life. So I, I'm just, I don't have it. I don't have one ounce of sympathy for this old spoiled mayo lady so i just i can't i i would she's either going to come forward and say you know i actually am sorry and what can i do to you know make amends or obviously there's no way to make amends but what can i do to show that i'm sorry or she can die quietly I will just echo everybody's sentiments that I have absolutely no sympathy for this woman. She can say it a thousand times, I am sorry, and it won't mean a thing. Uh, There's a special place in hell for her. Um, I feel like if she feels the need to recant this story and she wants to be of service to the black community, then she should do that. But... um, She's always going to live with the fact, knowing that she is responsible for the death of a 14-year-old child. A 14-year-old child who was beaten, mutilated, shot, and killed, and his body was sunk in the river. He was dragged and drowned, yeah. Dragged and drowned. Knowing all of that, in your mind, as a woman that is responsible for this tragic um, series of events. Uh, I just hope she realizes that she's responsible for that and she knows that she's going to deal with the consequences of her actions, uh, whatever that may be. 
after she leaves this earth. Um, so uh, I, I, again, agree with all your sentiments, and I think that whatever is going to come out of this story, I really don't care about her perspective. <laughs> um, I'm more interested in uh, the families and the legacy of Emmett Till and just finding more about all of the things that have happened as a result of his story being told, and also the civil rights movement uh, that helped, that actually evolved as a result of what had happened after Emmett Till's murder. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Emmett Emmett Till was 14 at the time of his death, and his mother, Mamie, uh, Mamie Till Mobley, passed away in 2003, still fighting. Um, but the old adage goes, those who don't know their history are destined and doomed to, to repeat it. And like I said earlier, we're seeing it over and over again, the black bodies, young black bodies being struck down for nothing, you know, even in this day. And it's, it's, it's horrible and it's tragic. And this is about to be the blackest year ever because um, people are exhausted exhausted Mm -hmm. from death exhausted from mourning exhausted from not seeing justice this is the powder keg even to this day it's a powder keg so then let's move on to something a little bit more lighter which is this past week we got a chance to Bask in the nostalgia of it all with New Edition. Uh, New Edition premiered on BET this week, which was (laughs) a lot of fun because they had a three-night event. And I live-tweeted along with everybody else and used the really cool, fun hashtag, can you stand the T, on New Edition, BET hashtag as well. So let's talk about it. It it was fun. It was great. I'm I'm going to start on this one cuz it just for me like the nostalgia shows, nostalgia tweets, you know, it's something that I've always loved and it's part of what I helped, you know, build with Black Girl Nerds between the Gem Live tweets and the 80s live tweets and 90 live tweets and stuff. So when it was brought to my attention that New Edition was going to be doing a TV uh movie, I was like, yeah, I got to get in on this. And I I just really enjoyed it from the songs to the performances by all of the actors and the story. It was just great. I I honestly came in with some pretty low expectations. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a BET production, so I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's probably not going to be as good as I hoped, but no, it it really exceeded everything that um, I expected and and so much more. So I'm I'm happy about it. My only criticism was the fact that it broke into commercial like every freaking five seconds. Oh my God. Um, BET, you got to do better with those ads. Somebody was telling me that, you know, not enough people watch BET programming and they need to get the support to be able to afford to run programming on their network. Well, if you run better programs on your network, then more people would watch. But even so, like, you, you got to cut down on those ads. But overall, I, I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, it, it it was phenomenal, phenomenal television. And watching and listening to all of the songs, man. And the fact that they actually played out some of the songs, like, in its entirety, like, Can You Stand yes. the Rain? That one is one of is my favorite. 
Yep. Yes. Can You Say In The Rain is like actually one of my favorite um, new edition songs. So when they played that in the studio, and I was just like, yeah. Um, and Luke James starting off the Johnny Gill solo at the beginning. I was just like, little tear, little, little tear came to my eye. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it was amazing. So yeah, guys, feel free to jump in. What, what did you think about the new when edition series? Played, when they played And I'm Leaving You Again, and I thought I'd tell you when. I know how this must feel. But if your love is real, try to understand that I'm in popular demand. That was such a part of my life because that was the song that I used to play for my boyfriends when I broke up with them. <laughs> <laughs> you. Why are and you see, this crap? Back like, in. We've had see, this conversation before. <laughs> Back in the day, all we had was a boom box with a double tape deck if you were lucky. If you didn't have a double tape deck, you had your 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 you know the rectangular tape recorder um with the red button and you had to press the, the record and the play button at the same time. And you would record and make your mixtapes that way from the radio by putting it up to the speaker. Now see, I grew up with these fellas. So it was like, you know, they were ours. They were our boys. They were our our boys to men. You know what I'm saying? And I, all of them loved me and I love them equally. I did not show favoritism to any of them in particular. Um, but this was not just nostalgic for me. This was such a beautiful part of my coming of age that was done so well. I felt like they, they had patience with it. They took their time with it. They did not rush through the story. I think the way they set it up, you know, as a six-hour biopic instead of just a two-hour movie, I thought that was brilliant. Um, those commercials, honey. Whew. Well, that's why it was six hours because the commercials. They, they, <laughs> it was like four hours of commercials out. and two hours of actual story going I on. Thought, <laughs> that great value, Misty Night, one more time. Okay, I, I didn't understand why. Are, why are people comparing Rage to Misty Night? I didn't understand I don't the know. correlation there. The Afro Puff. The Afro Puff. Yeah, I, I'm like, confused. It's like the same outfit, and that's why I felt like they she was. She didn't... was wearing a lot of red. She definitely was wearing. But red. that's it. Like, though exactly there's no bionic arm i i didn't get that okay i just you Continue. know but i didn't i, I just didn't get the correlation of, but go on i didn't i didn't either but then i saw those those uh those comparisons being made too i'm like do you know your history but um you know just i thought the casting was brilliant it was brilliant Every last one of those guys could stand on their own. And and Ron, as much as I love him, he was never that fine. But um, Oh, don't 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 go there the now. Ronnie was my favorite one. He was, I he had a huge that boy that crush on him. Ronnie DeVoe. Okay. Ronnie DeVoe, he was the tallest. You know, he was he was and, people and was coming at me on Twitter though. Anchor, it was true. He was the one that was consistent all the way through. But I love those guys. I've loved their music from the beginning. They were the first um, group that I technically became, you know, a, a traveling fan of because my next door neighbor's sister was of age and my sister and I weren't. But we were allowed to travel with her up and down the eastern seaboard to see the same concert over and over in different cities. Yes, we did. So. That's how I became a musical tourist. New Edition did that for me. And um, I still love them now. I mean, I thought, you know, I, I 
when Johnny Gill was added to the group, I had some questions because Johnny Gill had his career in his own right. And it was like he was positioned completely differently than New Edition, you know, had ever. They the, the two worlds never met. But he was a great addition to to uh, to the group. And they've continued. And to this day, they're still torn. They're still hitting it. And they still fine. And I, I, I love, I just, I love them so, oh God, I love them so much. I didn't know about Ralph and the karate though when he was little. I didn't know that. That was funny. That um, was funny. Yeah. So I, so a couple of things. One, I was the one who did the Nehu. I want people to, when they listen to this, like I want to get my credit. <laughs> that was me. That was me. Okay. So I just want people to get my credit when they hear like, oh, who's that? Just, just at me. It was me. Um, <laughs> Jesus, but I'm not with these notes. Uh, so I didn't. I grew up on New Edition, but not in the way on normal people. I'm obviously one of the babies of, of BGN, so I'm a little bit young. But my dad loves New Edition, absolutely loves New Edition. He, he took him and my mom to uh, their one of their uh, reunion shows. I don't know how many of them were there, but I think it was like a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and he really enjoys it. So I grew up listening to New Edition. Um, overall, because I can't speak on the nostalgia aspect, but mm-hmm. overall, that was very quality production. When they did that little Animorphs thing with the little kids. That was the- brilliant. I know. <laughs> that was so cool. BT blowing out your budget. Um, yep. <laughs> that's why they couldn't afford what, the wigs. That's why they had all them damn ads. <laughs> All them damn commercials. All them commercials. They were like, well, we're going to do this one scene. We need all the money. We we need at least eight commercials to do this one scene. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a good transition. That was so good. And yeah, no, the struggle. Can we call somebody from Atlanta just to come for these movies to do a good wig? I've seen amazing. Why can't they get the wigs right when they do these shows? I don't understand. Jamie, you know how I feel. That's why they was coming. They were coming for me on Twitter when I was um, going after the actor that played Ronnie because I thought they made Ronnie unattractive in this. Yeah, no, well, and people were coming after me. Ronnie in real life because I was every time they did a close up face of Keith Powers who plays Ronnie in in Keith Powers, uh, yeah. They, I was like, why does his eyebrows look weird? And then I looked at a picture of Ronnie up close. I was like, oh, he don't really got eyebrows. That's why. Yeah. Like, right. Like bleached or like flowered. I don't know. Put makeup over his eyebrows. I was like, he looks so odd right now without eyebrows. But yeah, no, those wigs was I mean, wigs were rough. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult to replicate a Jerry curl. It is very no, difficult no, to replicate a Jerry curl. It's not, though. It's not even a Jerry curl. Because they had Tank out here looking like Steve, Hive, uh, Steve Hightower. <laughs> the Steve Harvey show. With that hat helmet, that no, those no those Jerry person. curls in the movie Coming to America in the eighties was on point. They can yeah, make some good 80s, Jerry though. curls. It was low <laughs> definition too. Faison Love had been bald for years. Who decided to put a wig on Faison? Oh my god, was oh my yeah. God. But he's yeah, been wearing bad true. wigs for years, so. That's yeah, that is <laughs> true. So that was yeah, that was overall, probably from his own collection. I just okay. So this has been the second time that BET has said we got y'all in like recent years and they've been like completely honest. Like I think yeah. the first time yeah. was Prince they tribute. said Prince tribute. the Prince tribute and they they fucking had us. And with this they said oh we going to get y'all like we going to get y'all all the way together and they did. They did it. And I I appreciate it. And if I had to sit through 
them commercials in order for you to pay for this because they still made y'all pay for the rights to the songs, then I guess <laughs> I guess I had to deal with it. Like right. BET is like the Theo Huxtable of television. Like you know he's gonna <laughs> fuck up for the first twenty years, but you know he got it in him. And then one day oh, no. it comes to fruition. At least he's not the le- at least they're not the Lisa and didn't hook us up with a Gordon Gartrey. <laughs> I'm hoping because Kayla, you had sent me that tweet that Latavia had put out. I oh, hope yeah. that <laughs> Destiny's Child is next, man. Because no, you know no. they, the, you know they like, watched. Oh yeah. my God, Karan! Remember when I told yeah. you? <laughs> what you tell me? Um, about Latavia and the T-shirt. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who wants to be Latavia? Nobody. But she said in her tweet, um, she was just like Latavia of the group t-shirts. Oh lord! She said in her tweet that this was her life. I'll play Latavia. Yeah, I mean, wait, but like, wouldn't that mean like I'm the replaceable member of the group? (laughs) Isn't that what that t-shirt would mean? Aww. I like Latavia. The shade is real. (laughs) I'd like to talk about BT for a second. I think. I think BET set themselves up really good this year because even in the commercials, a good there was a couple of shows that I was like I was interested in that I might like sit and watch. I think BET is recognizing that quite frankly in Trump's America, we don't have a lot of media news and like entertainment outlets that we can really rely on. Right. And they I think and it sounds crazy, but I think with the BT of oh, the BT, the new edition biopic, I think they set themselves up to get people on their side in terms of trusting. If they continue the trend, I really do think that they can bounce back and kind of get that public opinion back on their side. Yeah. To be a place where they can bring back Teen Summit. They can bring back a lot of these like BT yeah. news type related things that could actually be beneficial and be a reliable source for us when it comes to getting our news that's not biased. And well, I you think- know, Mark Lamont Hill has BET News as as a part of his moniker now. So I'm curious to see what that manifests into because it's got to lead to something. I'd rather well, not. Well, I've been VH1 reality, like a VH1, not reality, but VH1 like casual talk show. So I don't know how that matches, but whatever. Well, I've been watching Ascot Jones on TV1. You know Ascot Jones? No. Oh! 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 <laughs> from Scooby-Doo? Roland Martin. <laughs> I've been watching him on TV One for my news. And um, they they actually put a really good morning program uh, each morning. I should be on it, but yeah, they do. Yeah, so. There's some college show that's coming out that looks really interesting. Well, uh-huh. well yeah. Yeah, the quad. And what they did the at Clark Atlanta earlier this week they actually gave them back to they did like a whole promotional thing where they were giving away like back to school packs where they had like tampons and snacks and school supplies and i was like BET's marketing the hell out of this even though i probably won't watch it because i can't stand a little girl that plays anika nani rose's daughter I've oh god that eight. voice gives me commotion. you know where she's from right she was no. the daughter that got rejected from my wife and kids that they changed her light skin. Yeah, that's the daughter. That's the brown skin girl. I got the first by the light skinned girl. Yeah, they did the Aunt Vivian thing to her too. Claire. I couldn't stand her because her voice. Um, but I don't know how I'm gonna do with her on this either. But I'm gonna give it a try because it's Anika and we love Anika. So her voice didn't change in puberty. 
Oh, no. girl, if it did, this whole uh, vocal fry thing she's doing is not working. Uh, she's like, my parents, and my, you know, I'm not, I, no, I can't do it. I cannot do it. You can't do vocal fry. <laughs> I went to this school because my mother chose it. It's like, girl, come on. You from the east side. I can't you with know, you. Pete, when she did that she, in the commercial, she she had a white roommate. I was like, y'all are, this is extreme theme, like visuals. Like, okay, I, I see what y'all are doing with this. Right. I see. Yeah. <laughs> from what I know, it's with them rebuilt, like this, this premise of the show, it's about like rebuilding uh, HBCU, which is kind of a, from what I hear is a shot at Morris Brown with them trying to rebuild their selves. And I don't know how that's going to go over. I, wait, so, I, I thought Morris Brown went bankrupt. They didn't. Ooh. They did, but they're like, they trying to, we're trying to group money to actually like get back going. Which well, is- no, if they're using, if they're using whatever money that they make from the, the great ratings, I'll tune in for that because the only time I ever heard about Morris Brown was that big boy song named Morris Brown. That's the only time I ever really hear about <laughs> And so when they went bankrupt, I was like, well, damn. But no, if they, if they need it to help get funding, I'm all about it. I will turn on my TV. I might not watch it, but I'll turn it on. Oh, my God, Joy. Oh, my goodness, Joy. I can't. 2017, y'all better be ready. I'll cast it in another room. <laughs> Is that the... Does it count still? Like... <laughs> No, I know. I, I couldn't like the quad. Maybe it's just me. It's just like I, it, I was not interested in it. I was interested in Rebel, though. I will say that. Like, yeah, Rebel saw, looked more interesting yeah, to me. I to me, Rebel looked more interesting. And then I saw a Method Man biting on somebody's ear, and I was like, "What's going on right now?" <laughs> Wait, but yeah. that was Method Man. Yes, yeah, that was some drama in Quad. And then you know, I love some drama, so I might tune in for some dramas. Yeah, no, if I had to pick one of the two, I personally pick Rebel. Like, I'm all, I, I think I'd be interested in it. And any black woman that's beaten up cops, sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Thank I'm you. All, I'm automatically going to sign Thank up. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm signing up for that, too. But there was, like, this one scene where, like, this black lady in a suit was getting this black, some black guy told in her office. And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm here for this. Uh, I don't know. I'll watch it. <laughs> I just like black women in power suits, just like stomping around campus. How did everybody feel about seeing Jamie's friend in the new edition uh, recap, though? Who's Jamie's friend? Oh, Mr. Rappaport. Oh. <laughs> um, Listen, you know he tweeted me? I, no, I was what? disgusted what? in every scene okay. that he was in, man. I was just like, gross. why? Why are black people employing this man at every yeah. turn? And black why? people always employed this man. For years, man. How is he getting paid to just, like, be himself? Yeah, exactly. So just stand here and say words I would say okay all right like that's well I'm surprised they didn't have him being you know like acting black type character like he's uh, always been that's normally what he does yeah I mean he technically was trying to he was eating them yeah. mom's greens and then told him that he don't got no money that's disrespect in the highest order but no he tweeted at me I tweeted like why did y'all cast Michael Rappaport I did not add him I just tweeted that and I was like no this is unacceptable because I just don't see it for him in general uh-huh. and he's gonna tweet me back I, w- I go to bed afternoon edition biopic because I work 
wake up in the morning, he writes, so turn it off. And I'm like, um, but kind sir, I did not add you. Girl, don't you know he searches his name on Twitter? You didn't know that? Yes, yes. He searches his name on Twitter. I, listen, I don't <laughs> he's that guy. be paying attention to these vanilla men, Jamie. I just be minding he's, my business. He's the, one of those people that searches his name on Twitter and will at every person that says anything negative got, about him. Got it. Good to know. Well, he, he got So petty. And I just, I was just like, why are you, because I know he's very like, oh, also, just a side note, and this is, this goes back to why we need more black girl nerds and, and the like in our media sphere, because I like to see what the landscape in, is in the market. Like, I'm a marketer, so that's just like my natural inclination. So mm-hmm. I look at other nerd sites and see what they're doing in terms of their video content and stuff like that. So I sometimes I watch the Collider Heroes uh youtube show which gets a lot of love apparently and he's sometimes a guest on there and i'm like why he knows nothing about the content and he'll say i know nothing about the content so then why are you here hmm hmm probably because they asked him and he said yes right i'm like but why do y'all have a report funny enough a pun intended why do you have a rapport with him for what? a rapport i'm so done with you joy <laughs> why do you have a rapport with him <laughs> Oh, joy so of the island. I feel joy. like that's. I feel like that's. That's the word for what he tries to do. Like when he tries to slip ebonics into conversations with black people, he's trying to have a rapport. I'm pretty certain if I offered him to come on our podcast, he would say yes. Or oh, be on our does. channel, he would if say he yes. Does, like, please let me he, on, please. I might behave. I might. I, I, I don't want to. I, I, we are the four right now. I will not behave. I, I don't. I would be. <laughs> I would be so adopt, good. Like, I'll no. adopt like the worst. Well, he wanted me to be on his podcast, and he kept at me like every five seconds, I and I said no, 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 and he kept asking me. I'm like, leave me alone. Like, no. No. Yeah, Only if you let me like break out into like random old Negro spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever he pisses me off, just like start humming. I don't think y'all understand. She absolutely would do that. Absolutely- <laughs> y'all don't get it. She really would. She really would. <laughs> just like whenever he says something ob- obnoxious, just like start humming. <laughs> so he knows it's a warning. <laughs> you know what? Oh God! Oh. Y'all, Pharrell, though, test that out on your white coworkers. Whenever they start testing you, just like start humming, swing low, oh, sweet spirit, or nearer, my God, to be. Start that first, dog. I'm Watch them this. back away real quickly. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but, wait, wait, but do white people really know Negro spirituals? Like, do they actually they know? They, they know scary black. <laughs> They know way in the water. All they gotta hear is those first few notes. They will after the get out comes out. <laughs> when the, when the get out comes out, they'll know what they mean. <laughs> Just like close your eyes and ball up your fist and start humming. <laughs> the earthly house. So <laughs> it's to decay. So let's bring yep, it. Let's bring it. <laughs> Jesus on the main line and start. Oh my gosh! Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. New edition. Okay. Question about new edition. So, um, okay, there was yeah. a part because I got to dial it back, y'all. Otherwise, we'll go into nowheresville. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there was a scene with um, a not a one dollar and eighty seven cent check. And I was just curious to know, what did you think about the fact that 
their moms didn't get paid like a lick of anything or that they signed a contract knowing nothing about the terms. Um, I, I, I think that in general, I, people are still getting got like that in 2017 now. Black yeah, artists, it was typical absolutely. of that time. It really was very typical yeah. of that time from the 60s, from, from payola on up. Um, it was very typical. And at that time, New Edition was the only, you know, group we had. We didn't have any other real groups, you know, back then when New Edition um, hit the scene. The last group we'd had prior to them was the Jackson 5, probably. Um, that wasn't a trio, you know what I mean? That was the actual, you know, boy band. But um, it was really typical of that time for them not to get paid. Same thing happened with, with LaFace and their artists, TLC and the mm-hmm. and their independent artists as well. Mm-hmm. That happened in the eighties and the nineties as well. It was very very typical for them not to uh, read their contracts, to t- accept advances if they got them, and to end up in debt after touring for year. And in New Edition's case, they had been on tour for six years when they got that check. I wouldn't be surprised if Diddy was doing that too. Like, and he was the nineties and two thousand. What you know he was? Oh yeah. Listen, like, have you seen like, Sarah from the band? She is Listen. destitute. Babs is still in Brooklyn, y'all. Like I have like day twenty six. I've I've seen some of them on Instagram, and I'm like, mm, yeah, they don't look like you guys got money no more. So it, I think it's happening. It happens in 2017. So when you look at artists like a Chance the Rapper, who is so adamant about I'm not signing to a label, and you're, people are asking like, why, 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 why? It's like, well, now we have new iterations of that. For now, in 2017, it's the 360 deal. For now, like it, it's starkly different in terms of the formatting and how it's broken down. But mm-hmm. I am I would not absolutely be surprised if that same situation happened to pick your generic artist in 2017. Like this was of the time, but I do think it's an overall thing about and it sounds crazy because there were black people that worked in these labels and there were black people that worked at TLC's label. Yeah. Um Something about taking advantage of specifically black artists and black groups, it absolutely rubs me the wrong way. And I think this is where uh, Mr. Rappaport got hired correctly when he was pretty much threatening them that he was going to take them back to the hood. Something about that really rubbed me the wrong way because you're getting these talented but destitute kids who do not have money but are extremely, extremely gifted and talented. They have a God-given gift. And you take them out of the hood and how you keep them and quote unquote wrangle them in line and make them professional is to threaten them to go back to the hood. Something about that just don't feel right. It feels mm. helpful to me and I don't like it. So seeing them have that $1.87 and they be like, yo, we're going to send your asses right back to, to, to the hood of Boston is absolutely ridiculous. Them kids were minors. Like they, the dudes that were playing them, they they look a little, they, you know, they're a little older up in age, but they were definitely minors when they were getting them threats. They were 18, 19, 17. Right. Like they were underage, don't know anything about the legal system. Their mama doesn't know anything about the legal system. Nobody thought about reminding them or suggesting, oh, you know, hey, you might want to get a lawyer. And then when you have like personal and mental issues, like Bobby Brown being on all of the drugs. Like no one suggested. <laughs> and Ricky yeah. Bell, that was a shocker. That's a shock. I did not know that. Oh, did not know that. Oh, girl, everybody knew about Ricky. I I, I, I didn't know. I that. didn't know about most back, of this. Back then, to be honest. Back then, that was. Uh, it, there was lots of talk about Ricky. Um, On my TL, everybody was like, "Ricky, really?" Like everybody had questions about that scene because I. Ricky was I, saying I, low 
Like all he was doing was low and build. All he was doing was just trying to stack up these checks, <laughs> live his life. Right. It was it was re- it was real low key. But if you were involved in the music scene back then, you, you know about Ricky. Uh, well, Damn. I wasn't in the music scene. Thanks. Everything, honey. But yeah, like even with Bobby Brown and Ricky, people who have actual mental and physical health issues because they are they are going through and battling addiction. Mm-hmm. No, the first thing is we gotta kick him out of the group. Nobody suggested him taking him to rehab. Nobody suggested taking him to therapy. Nobody did any of these suggestions. It was about that bottom it, line. Yeah, it's all about that bottom line. So I couldn't help but notice and see that those parallels between that and like the TLC story and in terms of these black kids who have this talent but are young and experienced and their parents are working jobs so they're not there all the time because they also got to pay bills and they also got other siblings and whatnot. And it was just really, it was hard to watch, like to see $1.87. Like that is wild. Like you can find you can find $1.87 on the street right now. Like that's how much they were making. And they toured and left their home and their families for an X amount of time just to make that money is absolutely ridiculous. I think when it comes to child stars, it, it's they know what they're getting away with. Now, in like the instances with Diddy and Bad Boy and all the bands that they've tried to put together, those are grown ass people. So there should have been hindsight as to this might not work out. Don't put all my eggs in one back basket. But like Joy said, these are kids and they're looking for a way out. The moms want to give them the way out. Now, I know we were all joking, you know, last, you know, over the past few days saying where are the mom is at while they're having orgies in, in rooms. But, I mean, they didn't have someone there. That's why it was really important. And I'm glad that this story was told mostly from the perspective of Brooke as the adult that wants to actually look out for them. Because um, he, like, watching it is like he really did try to just be that voice of reason for them, um, even though they didn't take his advice. So that was kind of hard to see too, because that's a lot of that in the music industry is just not taking the advice of somebody, somebody that might know what they're talking about and just being dismissed. That's um, true. But, and I don't know if you missed it, but um, Rappaport, I don't even remember his character's name. Cause he just is blinding Gary. 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 Gary said that he, they had he had guardianship of them while they were on the road. Mm-hmm. So those their parents had signed guardianship over to him while they were they on the road. They just signed the damn contract. They, they didn't just even signed look everything. They said <laughs> they didn't even know that they weren't on the label. You know what I mean? They knew nothing. They did not read those contracts at all. They got five hundred dollars in a Betamax. That's pretty much and what they got. Beta Max, girl. Joy, you know that is your Twitter name, and it killed me. I love I well, it. So, now my Twitter name is Nehu, with all the O's, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And Maurice Starr, uh, you had mentioned, Joy, earlier about, you know, um, black groups being screwed over, but Maurice Starr screwed over New Kids on the Block, too. So... Yeah. I, was, I was talking to my friends about, remember uh, Pearlman? Who screwed over like uh, yeah, uh, NSYNC. NSYNC. Yep, there was that is that is that is commonality for young child stars. To Kayla's point, but something about and maybe it's because I'm black, so I'm in like I'm in my feelings. But something about black kids mm-hmm. being like taken advantage of really irks my spirit oh, so yeah. much. Yeah, especially because these are people like the average American doesn't know legal jargon. Let's be real. 
They don't know how to read a contract from top to bottom. They don't know the legalese that that is in in which it's written in to understand what they're fully signing off. That's the average American today. Now, bring that back towards like the 70s or 80s where a lot of the shit that they would do in terms of legal work would be illegal today in 2017. And they got away with a lot of shit because of that. Now, if you do the wrong thing, somebody's going to see you like immediately. That was not necessarily the case in the 70s and 80s. So I really felt for the moms because they really were just trying to do something to have their kids. That's what I did. I felt more empathy for the moms than like, because everybody was dismissing the moms and saying, well, you should have just read the damn contract. But I'm just like, you know, they just wanted the best for their kids. And and they didn't know better. You they know? were tr- they were trusting. They were trusting they were that trusting. Their, their talent would be enough, and that they would really look out for those kids. And yeah. and you know, honestly, when it comes to signing contracts, to this day, to this very day, if you sit down anywhere and you take the time to read what you're signing, somebody's going to try to overtalk you and encourage you to sign before reading it. Yep. Every <laughs> situation I have ever been with. I have sat down and I will take the time to read every line and every contract. I will, if I don't understand, I ask a question. And if something I want isn't in there, I ask for an addendum. But every single time I sit down and actually begin reading a contract, whoever gave me that contract is trying to talk over me and tell me where to sign. And I have to remind them that I can read. Or you just don't understand the, or like Joy said earlier, you just don't understand the legal jargon that's in a contract. Right. And you just skim over those parts and then you just sign it and find out later that those parts are what eventually screw you over in the long yeah. run. So Most people don't even read like the terms and conditions on iTunes. So no, Exactly. The terms and conditions of Facebook. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they don't know what they have access to. They don't know who has rights to their data on Twitter. They don't right. know... And and much of that stuff is stuff that you is in very extensive legalese, you know, um, and you have to really read through it to know what they're doing. Um, yeah. A lot of times when you update applications, I'll take the time to read through it. And I, it used to be when Google Play would update apps, they would tell you exactly what it was that each update was but nowadays it's like oh we added some new features you'll like but they don't do that anymore now it's just i mean they don't tell you exactly like oh we bug fixed this one line now now it's just very um very vague and you have to like really search for what's being um what's being changed. Um, They'll ask for permissions and things like that. And you have to actually read through that. And a lot of people don't. So to sit here and judge, you know, someone for not reading completely through a contract that, you know, it takes a certain level of, I think, schooling sometimes to understand. um, I, I think it's, I think it's a little harsh. And that's why they (laughs) expect you not to read it. And that's why so many people try to over talk you. Mm -hmm. And tell you where to sign without reading it. We are never expected to read anything. Like, if we're talking expectations, we're never expected to read anything. We're never expected to ask questions. So read and ask questions. Because it could change the entire trajectory of what it is you're doing. It -hmm. could change your decision about what you're doing. Exactly. All right. Well... Let's move on to our final discussion of the evening, and that is 
the Oscar race. The Oscars is coming on soon, and we'll do a podcast roundtable discussion about that after the airing of the show. But it's a very exciting time because Oscars, uh, there's a lot of nominees that are black nominees and very i'm i'm excited about it but i want to know what your thoughts are we've got best actor nominees best actresses best supporting actor best supporting actresses best directors best screenwriters and also best films that feature black actors in them so uh what are your thoughts about uh the nominees this year i'll start um first of all i gotta shout out joy mcmillan because she's the first black woman to ever be nominated to be an editor on moonlight and her name is spelled joy with an i like me (laughs) it's really good for her and i gotta find her twitter account because i want to be like girl i'm with you in spirit you are holding it down for all of the joys with the eye i'm here we're here together we will make it through we will win this oscar so uh, i am i am rooting for her but no i i think it's really great i read a really wonderful article uh that Tyree Anderson, I think he writes for the Washington Post, did with uh, April Rain, who created the hashtag Oscar So White. And um, let me start off by saying, if any of your mayo-facing publications is talking about that there's no more Oscar So White, please don't fuck yourself. And let me tell you why. Because the way, when people say Oscar So White is no more, it's equivalent of saying it's a post-racial society. Right, right exactly. And now, and now look at where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Like, today. And that's, look how that panned out. So stop. Don't <laughs> do that. You have no call in saying this. This is another example of you completely erasing, uh, uh, erasing black women's work and their art and their creativity. April Rain, who is a black woman, made it. She made it uh, with the intention to be inclusive of everybody who is in a marginalized group. And in that Washington Post article, she talked about how, yeah, the Oscars are more black, but it's not necessarily more diverse, which is true. We have a lot of black nominees in Dev Patel. And these are great, don't get me wrong, but we have so much way, so much of a ways to go right. in terms of what diverse means. We had a shitty year in 2016 for AAPI actors and actresses. True. Let's call a spade a spade. Like they had a crappy year with Ghost in the Shell, with uh, 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 AA Iron Fist, with um, uh, I'm blanking on the other one, uh, Doctor Strange. They had a really bad year in terms of getting whitewashed in their roles. So Aloha. that's not a good- yeah, Aloha. Yeah, like these are not good looks. Uh, Kubo and uh, the, the that movie. I think they was there's an issue with them. It's, yes, there's a few white actors. That yeah, it's it's Ish like characters. and then Death Note yeah. coming up. Yeah, and Death so, Note coming like oh, we, yeah. they did not have a good year in 2016. Moving into 2017, they got they didn't get nominations. You have indigenous folks that didn't get nominations. You have Latinx folks that didn't get nominations. And Lord knows I love Moonlight. God knows I do. I am looking forward to seeing Moonlight and I hope they beat the shit out of Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. Thank you. I I cannot wait. I want them to absolutely destroy, uh, destroy them. But hey, let's talk about it. We haven't had any LGBT directors direct anything that got nominated for films this year either. Paul's made a say. Like, we are making progress but we have a ways to go so when you're saying hey we're gonna cut off and there's no more oscars so white first of all the oscar this year's oscars gonna be the 89th just because we have more black people than ever you still got 88 years to make up for it shut the fuck up quite quite frankly don't like you have 88 more years before we can start talking about hey it's no more it's even and even then 
until we can start thinking about how do we have that progression where it's more diverse, let's not forget one of the first few Oscars had a McDaniel and you know, Lord knows Monique is an interesting character, but she dressed like Hattie McDaniel when she won her Oscar mm-hmm. uh, for Precious. Ooh. Hattie McDaniel wasn't allowed to even sit during the ceremony with the white folk. Right. Like, I'm going to need you to leave my soror alone, but yes. <laughs> but the Go point, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the point is, is that, like, we, we, the Oscars has a history of being racist yeah. and being sexist. And being uh, 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 homophobic, like let's be truthful. And it's not that they're being blatantly so, but they have ignored that art. They have people in the audience who is those type of people who are getting nominated. We have people who let's let's talk about being in Trump's America who probably voted for Trump. Like fifty percent of them niggas like mm-hmm. probably voted for Trump in mm-hmm. in there. So like let's let's be honest with ourselves when we're talking about how we have a ways to go before we're cutting everything off but most importantly if you are not the creator of oscar so white you have no say in whether or not this is over don't do like just stop um i'd like to formally request that um joyce stop saying the things i was going to say Um, I'd also like to piggyback on that and agree. Um, I think it, it comes from this overwhelming, I don't, I don't, again, my disgust with white liberalism and white moderates, um, this need to assuage their white guilt. So when there's this, um, overwhelming, um, celebration of black actors, um, they want to be celebrated for this right. instead of Cookies. allowing us to celebrate. They want to say, oh, well, we did good, and now that thing is over. Like, they they want to say that racism has come to an end because they did good. And it <laughs> it's tiring, once again. Like, the, it it's that that means well whiteness that is damaging and it's tiring to have to keep correcting (laughs) because they don't know how to stay in their lane. They don't know how to let blackness speak for itself and stand on its own, or they don't know how to let people of color speak for themselves, speak for themselves. Like, I don't understand why, this Oscar so white was co-opted in the first place. Like, I don't understand why they're the ones that are writing articles about it anyway. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand. So it it is quite obnoxious of them. And I also do agree with joy that um, uh, the victory that we all feel and seeing so many black faces nominated. I'm so excited about all of that. It is very bittersweet not to see more representation of um, Asian people, um, Afro-Latino people as well, um, just Pacific Island, just so many other people, people of color, I see a lack of um, being nominated for, for these awards. And it's, very bittersweet. So for them to say Oscar's not so white anymore, huh? Is like, mm. <laughs> calm down, sit, well, it's, sit it on down. <laughs> it's it's funny though because uh, um, someone I was tweeting about that and someone said, well, Marion Coulter art is French. I'm like, well, here we go. Um, what? Let's, <laughs> let, let's 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 get into this. this. 
and, and I and I love her. I love Miriam Cotillard. But here's here's the problem. It's that white passing thing that you guys know that I hate so much within uh, the Latin community and you know the other fair skinned ethnicities and it, it, where they get these roles like. So apparently I'm not allowed to feel bad that uh, Latins get get nominated, but they're like Penelope Cruz white. So I'm like, I, I can't, I, I don't, that's, we're not there yet. So at some point, like Tora said, um, your white hot take on Oscars so white um, will get you called out, will get you dragged. Um, Black Twitter does not play. That's why Mashable got that girl fired. I don't feel bad um, when we all, you know, jumped on board with that. Because you can't speak for people when you don't know the experience and you're just writing to get something out so that you could get a paycheck. That's what I'm sick of with the whole um, Oscar So White buzz is because he's looking to get paid. So I'm just going to take what, and they're not even being original. They're stealing from another white writer to write these articles and put them out there and it says the exact same thing so then they get upset when we get mad and and call them out on it because oscar so white was meant to be inclusive so you know the day we see donnie yen get up there and get an oscar will be amazing because he's been in, in in so many things um but we're not there yet and i swear to god if i see casey affleck get up Oh, girl. Oh, Jesus, help me. And if I see Michelle Williams nominated for another mediocre-ass role, she was a piss-poor Marilyn Monroe. Same goes to Emma Stone. And and I don't hate Emma because I feel like... I don't hate her either. I just don't think she's that great of an actor. And I don't think she was great. And that's the thing. Like I said, and I put it out there, I didn't hate La La Land because I like musicals, so it was pretty to me. But it's not the best movie. So that's where I'm getting upset. I don't it's understand why it's got movie. 11 nominations. I don't, I don't get, it, get it. Well, no, it's 14 nominations. Oh, 14. Maybe. Excuse me. Yes. Yep. I and stand corrected on that. It's, it's tied with Titanic for the most amount of nominations in one Oscar year. Right. And I'm really extremely confused. I'm yeah, very confused. Like, yeah. Titanic is one of the best films of our generation. I have to ask you this. Why are you confused? Because, okay, so the folk that are saying Oscar's so white are not so white anymore is bullshit. Until we see our faces, our many colors, our many lives reflected in the films that are greenlit, and until we see every shade of brown and green and plaid in the goddamn writer's room, it's going to be the same shit every year. So that's why La La Land got 14 goddamn nominations, because it's the same shit in a different year. Don't be confused. Don't be mistaken. This is the same shit. They throw a couple of black t- black people who are rightfully deserving in their own right for the work that they've done. But every year we've got black actors and actors of color that rightfully should be there. They just got named this year because they got called out so badly last year and the year before. But let's be clear. This is not new. It's not fantastic. It's not a surprise that La La Land, white people, 
taking claim for inventing fucking jazz of all things in the U.S. They really, really, just because John Legend is attached to it doesn't mean that it's changed. It's the same shit, different year. Don't be confused. But even reason to be confused. It's the same. I feel like they they did try to overcompensate for all of the black nominees by going, you know what, let's just throw all of the extra nominations to this one super white movie. Yeah, You have one in every category, every major category. Now, what about all of these supporting actors throughout the year who rightfully deserve to be there every year? It's still not even, they did overcompensate with that, Jamie. Thank you, because that's the word that escaped me. They have overcompensated in the, in the, they have overcompensated in the public image. They've changed, they uh, tried to change the public image of the Oscars, but the Oscars themselves. It's like, it's like their way of saying, don't get it twisted now. Don't get it twisted. Also, you, you people forget, like, you think about how Viola Davis's team had to make the call between, best like supporting versus best actress and they chose best supporting because it's a greater chance of her getting yes. her getting it yeah like viola davis's uh snot bubble deserves all the oscars her snot okay. you know what? we talked award. about this on the last episode yeah the, the, the snot. that she wipes her makeup off when I saw her crying in that that uh, uh, trailer, I was like, oh, but just give her just just engrave her Oscar for me, please. And a lot of people are like congratulating her. And I don't want to be that Debbie Downer. And there a lot of people are congratulating Viola, Viola Davis for being the first black actress to be nominated for three Oscars. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. But she's won zero. Yeah. Well, she's gonna, she, she's gonna she's gonna win one. This she's yeah, gonna no, win and it. I, and I think she, and everybody's she's calling for win. her to win. I'm not holding my breath because I just need she's to see amazing. it for myself. She I, I, it. Yeah, but she, she but she deserved it for doubt and she deserved it for the help too. Yeah. So yeah. I I I the fact that you when your team has to make that call because you really could do it for either or she could have done best actress and would have equally deserved it and she is uh, uh um Denzel's equal. In the film, he's also he's nominated for best Ask- actor. So the other co-star is he probably- nominated for best director? No, no, See, no. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Well, let's hope that Barry Jenkins takes that for Moonlight. I would, well, I would, yeah, yeah. Well, but, and even yeah. look at the best uh, foreign, fi- like well, not best foreign films, best documentaries. Thirteenth, I am not your Negro, and OJ Made America are all black people. Yep, that's big. Yeah, deal. that's true. Yep, that's a big deal. And I want Ava to take it, but man. OJ Made in America is a really good documentary. That's a, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. They, they are really heavy hitters. So like they're they, we we're having great representation. All I'm saying is is that April designed Oscars so white to be representative of every marginalized group and every form that takes. Right. So as we're pushing the agenda, we had a good year for black film. Let's try to aim for have a good year in Asian film in 2017, a good year in trans films for agents. agents oh uh, this year we were, um, uh, Kelly Mantle, who was on RuPaul's drag race was like the first person that could, cause he plays a trans, um, man in a movie. This is the first year that he could qualify for either best supporting actress or best male, uh, actor, which is, freaking amazing but it didn't happen so it's i don't know how far it's going to take for us to get i mean we got somewhere with rupaul getting his emmy that was that was a step in the right direction but when it comes to lgbt 
something's got to give. That's yeah. what that's what gets me. Something's got to give because so many um there's a documentary about being about the Puerto Rican drag scene Mala Mala which is great. If you have Netflix, watch it because it's it's amazing and mm-hmm. um that didn't get nominated either. And it's it's just crazy to me because it's beautifully shot, beautifully you know directed and those things are ignored. You have to go out and look for them. Mm-hmm. Um the year that the blue is the warmest color was nominated, which was really shocking because it's got a 15 minute sex scene. Um, but it's every other three or four years that those things are like acknowledged for LGBT. So at some point we've got to push it to where this is an every year thing for everybody. So that's, that's exactly it. And maybe it, maybe it's on us to like do figure out a way how we can contribute. So like Moonlight is a very interesting case because it was indie funded. It wasn't coming from a a specific house per se. I mean, A24 and like plan B, but a part of their funding was indie funded. So maybe it's a, hey, what platforms can we individually do to make sure that those other marginalized stories are being told? How do we make a Kickstarter Indiegogo for them to get funded to make their films? Like, what do we got to do to make sure those voices are amplified? So that's something that I'm interested in. We need art and film more than ever, especially in this political climate, uh, because those are the people who will be able to push our story and our narratives forward, because we're not going to be able to get it from like traditional news sites anymore. So how do we make sure that their their voices are getting amplified? And, and kudos to A24 for the content that they choose to push forward. Um, with Moonlight, even um, when they did the Amy Winehouse documentary, that one um, for, I believe, music last year. But they push forward things that people don't necessarily want to, to you know, put out there. So they take on those projects. And so them taking on Moonlight, um, they are doing well. And they are a very good step in that direction. But we need more of those studios like that. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I know um, Ava DuVernay has her organization with Array, uh, which helps the distribution part of, mm-hmm. of films. So uh, that's a great organization to tap into. And uh, I follow them on Twitter. And they do every now and then, um, like, I, well, I don't know if they do it anymore. But we had live tweeted, like, a short film uh, with the Array Now account. So that's something to check out. ArrayNow.com is the website. But um, I agree with you, Joy. I mean, there's there's ways to be able to support African-American women in cinema is another organization. Um, where I'm actually trying to partner up with them and, you know, try to promote more of their content and have BGN as a, as a partner with them. Um, Tara is the organizer her last name escapes me right now but um uh african-american women in cinema has been around for a while when i used to be a blogger talking about the film industry when i lived in new york i I remember doing a lot of um movie reviews and uh seeing their name pop up here and there so you know it's it's definitely something that you know takes effort because you have to seek these independent content creators and support them but yeah, it, it's something that's very important to do. I think that a lot of people are hungry for it because 
what Brad Pitt has done with Plan B is awesome, and I mean he's supporting these independent concrete independent yeah. uh, content creators. So that's that's great to see. I'm really happy to just see some black folks get nominated. I'm just gonna keep it 100. <laughs> I mean I'm just really excited for this season of beautiful black people getting nominated, getting their due, seeing Denzel and Viola Davis, seeing Octavia Spencer getting her nomination for Hidden Figures, seeing Hidden Figures getting a Best Picture nomination. I mean, a movie about three black women, mathematicians, um, they're not playing slaves. They're, they're not, not playing maids. Yeah. Not you know, not it's not the help. Yeah. Like, I mean, finally, we're seeing movies that are not characters where we're tropes, where we're not these stereotypes, and we're actually getting recognition for it and, and getting these accolades. So I'm excited for that. And um, I, I really hope to see us sweep away a lot of these wins for these nominations and it not just be a situation where it was like the year that color purple was nominated where it got like all of these nominations and no wins not one win um, listen there's two people that need to well not two people one person that needs to win for me listen Mahershala Ali got robbed at the Golden Globes I don't care what yep. nobody says yep. and that man got nominated I will take Dev Patel as a as a, a fine alternative, but if he does not win that Best Supporting Actor, I'm kicking everybody. Also, Taraji got robbed. She definitely should have got nominated for Best Actress too. I agree. I, I agree. agree. That monologue yeah, scene with her in the bathroom. I mean, yes. just that scene alone. She should have got nominated. And I'll be upset if Denzel doesn't win because I don't want Casey Affleck to win that damn award. I he, mean, but you know, Jamie, you I want to kick Casey Affleck in the teeth. Me too. Like I Jamie. just. <laughs> You know, and we to, we I want him to meet me out back. <laughs> yeah. Outside, how about that? You know. <laughs> and it just it just I'm goes to show her. it just she goes to show the racial <laughs> it just goes to show the racial bias that uh, Hollywood, you know, depicts when it comes to actors of color compared to white actors because we see the treatment that Nate Parker got with Birth of a Nation and right. his sexual deviant past. And, and now so. Casey Affleck, so. I mean, it's like everybody's turning the other cheek and acting like nothing happened. Nothing happened. And kudos to Constance Wu, who is speaking up and speaking yeah. out. And she's like the only person in Hollywood that is talking about this. Meanwhile, everybody else in Hollywood is acting like, oh, OK, well, you know, it's not a big deal. But she's actually saying something about it. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't understand why. You know, I mean, I understand why. I don't know why I keep saying that. Also, but it's, it's, just, you know, it's it frustrating. Also unfortunately, is is the whiteness, and also it's who you know within that whiteness. Yeah, because he's man. yeah, he's Hollywood royalty, right? I mean, he's yep. he's an Affleck. You know? Yeah, he's been Affleck, and, and, and his 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 best buddy is Ben Affleck's uh, best buddy's Matt Damon. These are like white male royalty. We don't know him. Who is Matt Damon? Who the hell is that? Like, right, the, exactly. Exactly. What's I don't. Matt, what's a Matt Damon? <laughs> I've never um, experienced that emotion. I don't know. But yeah, but he, he <laughs> won all of those awards for Manchester by the Sea for his role. I think it's going to be a clean sweep, and I'm going to be pissed about it. Because Denzel absolutely. Denzel killed. I have to that say, actor. that is the best performance of Denzel's career in Oh Fences. my God. It was, it was incredible. Oh the best it was performance so of his career. Hands so down. Good. So. Yeah. Can I can I say something that I forgot? And yeah. this is not related to the Oscars, but I made a note 
And I just want to say it is really great to see Lisa Nicole Carson back to work. I have yeah. missed her so much. And she was she played one of the mothers in new in New Edition Story. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one of she is one of our great treasures. And she's been gone for a long time and has been vocal about her struggle with mental illness. Right. And I am so happy to see her in all her glory. So Lisa Nicole Carson, girl, welcome back. I loved her since Allie McBeal and yes. ER. <laughs> yes. Yes. She's awesome. Yeah, it was good to see her too. It was good to see a lot of the folks that were on that. Mm-hmm. It really was. A lot of acting stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I really really think, I really believe that because of the state of affairs, the state of the union, this is going to be one of the most incredible periods for black creativity that we've seen in our, in our lifetime. Yep. Yep. I I really believe that this is going to be, a new renaissance. Uh, we are in the midst of a new renaissance, and we're going to see the kinds of creativity and expression that we've never had access to before because we didn't have access to as much media and as much in time, um, in time visuals as we do now. Yeah. Um, but I really believe this is a God-breathed moment mm-hmm. for the arts um, all over, but people of color. When, when faced with oppression and with faced with the most difficult of times, we create the most incredible art on, an, on a daily basis anyway. But now there's more reason than ever to find purpose and your voice uh, through, through the work of your hands and your voices. So I'm really encouraged by that. Everything mm-hmm. else, I don't care about. Years from now, they'll take the art created during this time and put it on skirts and then write protest poems and call themselves no political geniuses. Go on the breakfast club. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Oh, my God. That that girl makes me want to shake. Let's not go there. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I was just Let's... talking about the great art from this period. Okay. I wanted to, I, and I I wanted to add something too, and just um, sort of tying into what you said, Quran, of just a lot of the things that we're doing and the art that we're creating, and also with respect to the recognition that's happening uh, with all of the platforms that are building and black girl nerds specifically. So um, this podcast obviously has been recognized by having really great people uh, from celebrities like Idris Elba and you talking to people like Ava DuVernay, who's an Oscar nominee. And and even the fact that I had tweeted out the following, wow, three black women are nominated in the best supporting actress category, tweeted at Black Girl Nerds. And that was actually printed in USA Today. Um, So I just want to say, I think this is really cool that tweets from Black Girl Nerds is being printed in publications um, and that people are actually paying attention to what we're saying. You know, people are actually scrutinizing and reading our words. Our words have clout. Our words have meaning and value. 
um, to go into publications that have circulation all over the world. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there and uh, thank you to everybody that's been supporting this show throughout the years and we'll continue to give you the best content and, and just thank you. Thank you so much. So just, uh, just to say that. To, if USA Today wants to print something out, in regards to podcasting, just ignore my part because I definitely said, fuck you, white lady. You might not want to print that. Yes, please you... don't print the parts where I said mayo. <laughs> all my parts. I said, I said all my parts, all my fuck I you, said, <clears throat> kiss my ass, it's print mayo. Please don't print the part where I said old spiled mayo. Please don't. <laughs> I'm always surprised people actually pay attention to what I'm tweeting. I'm always shocked. Like, why do you care? I say the most I mean, random but Jamie, stuff. We, but you made a great point about us being influential as the mantle of black girl nerds. I know I joke around and say we are the mighty regime. But, like, honestly, we do have a lot of clout. And I think it's important when we're talking about film and especially the art and the creativity that Karan was talking about uh, for 2017 – that we, and we always do this, but making sure that we can do the best as we humanly possibly can to amplify those voices, not only specifically like black girls, but even more deep diving into the intersectionalism of black girls. And I was talking Absolutely. to her about this. So queer black women, uh, yes. disabled black women, Afro-Latinas, like making sure that we're getting really down to the nitty gritty and making sure that every black woman's voice is heard, yes. no matter what viewpoint or look that is. Um, is super important and it's a challenge to all of us. Like I'm throwing the gauntlet down, but I, I definitely think we can do it for 2017 and beyond. Thank you for always joy, by the way, thank you for always bringing it back to intersectionality because that is something that I feel like me personally, I need to get better at. And that's what I'm doing now with universal fan con. And, um, and that's what I'm doing in a couple of months with going to Clexicon, which Kayla's joining me in that. Um, yeah, whoop, whoop, Clexicon. Clexicon is a, it's it's the first year con for them uh, for LGBTQ women and allies. Uh, so join us if you guys are going there. That's uh, March 3rd through the 5th in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, check it out. But yeah, thank you for bringing that back to um, intersectionality among black women, because that is something that I think is very important that we need to touch on. Um queer black women, disabled black women, you know, Afro-Latino black women. Um, it's just, it's important to focus on all areas of our community. Uh, and that is something that is a huge focus for me in 2017. And Universal Fan Con is a huge part of that as well. Yes. Uh, so It's so, yes. it's so awesome, guys. You just, you, you have no idea. There's a lot of work. And Jamie, you, you guys are just, just putting in a lot of work to make it happen. And it's going to be great. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm, really I'm excited, excited too. too. And also just wanted to point out how much representation is just here within us too. So like Absolutely. we've got Kayla. So we do have queer, disabled, Afro-Latinas just within yeah, this, like... just within this small group. Right. <laughs> um, that's talking right now. So we're as we're intersectional right now. So just I love seeing the intersectionality within black girl nerds all of the time. So thank you for creating that space where we can, you know, be ourselves. Yes. Jamie, I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I've ever felt more 
<laughs> like myself since I've met you guys. Seriously, I, I think I've I've become a better version of myself. And I thank you, Jamie, for creating this space so that we can grow, because that's what's actually happening. Whether or not that was your intent, we're growing and we're growing right. together. And I think it's it's remarkable. So much love to you, black girl nerds. Thank you for loving me. The pimp. Right? <laughs> Somebody sing Let the Circle Be Unbroken. All right. Well, any last words before we wrap this episode up? Fuck Donald Woo-woo. Trump. Woo-woo. Fuck Donald Trump. That sounds good to me. Fuck Donald Trump. Joy, she said it. I did. Six ways I to Sunday. Fuck Donald Trump. Did y'all, and did y'all also... My, my heart flutter when I heard it. it <laughs> Fuck Donald Trump. And also, as you're getting through these dark and Trump Trump times, woo, woo, woo. Woo, woo, woo. Woo, woo, woo. woo. Remember yeah. to, you know, always um, use alternative facts. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's my best advice that I could give to you. Alternative facts. Um, so I use that hashtag after everything. If I get an email, say, Kayla, did you get that proposal done? I did hashtag alternative facts. So just use it in your everyday life. It works for, you know, the Trump administration. So why the hell not should it work for us? No, I will I would I would like to plug like talking about facts and the lack thereof. Um AJ Plus is doing a really good job on good summarizing content of what's going on in terms of the uh Trump administration. They have something called the Trump Tracker that you can subscribe to, which gives you kind of a summary yes. of what's going on. If you're not checking that out, it's really great because it sounds crazy, but if you guys are on social media like how we're on social media, every two hours some shit is happening. Right. So mm-hmm. it's good to have a nice little roll-up summary of how the world is slowly but surely crumbling uh, in its wake. So Trump Tracker for AJ+, Plus, like, check it out. Um, but yeah, no, like... There's a good chance that we're going to die, but we're going we're gonna to try to see how it's going to work. Okay. Do y'all dread logging onto Twitter like to see yes. me? Is it just me? Yep. I, I wake up every day that? just shocked that Donald Trump is president. I'm just like, is it really you know it, it is, real? It is, a, it is a fact that he is the greatest threat to um, the security of this nation. Um, but I'm going to ride this bitch till the wheels fall off. They're going to have to look. If we're going to go down... I'm gonna go down and join myself. We must die. Uh, I mean, all I'm gonna say is you guys watched that episode of a scandal. Uh, That's all I got to say. Oh, I haven't seen it yet, so don't talk about it. Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything, but for y'all, I can repeat repeat the words. I can repeat the words of Nikki Giovanni. Was Nikki Giovanni who stated the best thing that could happen to this country? Would be for, did she say a plane to go down with Trump and Pence on it? <laughs> Goodbye. Was that, no, seriously. No, for real. For real, for real. Uh, and like, they asked her to rephrase it and she refused. Wait, wait, wait. wait. First of all, I feel bad because I did not know Nikki Giovanni was still with us on this earth. Uh, really? I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know. That's a wrap, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. 
Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.